Welcome to the Aggressive Life. You have asked, and today I'm answering. Welcome to our first Q&A episode of 2024. These episodes are always a bit fun for me, most because I have no idea what questions Dirt's going to throw at me. I guess Dirt's been mining questions oh, on, yeah. on, on Instagram and oh, other yeah. places, right? So I started this Q&A over on Instagram. I spent a day cranking out answers to my stories while I was in a deer blind. I can do deer coming along, so I may as well answer some questions nice and silently. And uh, this is a rhythm I've had in the past, and I want to get back into it. But sometimes it's fun to do when you're not tapping it out on the screen, but you're actually answering with more exhaustive answers. So Dirt has collected and sorted these questions. He's going to toss some over to me, and it's going to be a big grab bag I haven't seen before. I have no idea what they are or where we will end up. It's kind of an aggressive move, actually, Dirt. It is. It not, is. Not to keep beating the metaphor to death, <laughs> but when it works, it works. So our plan is to do these Q&A episodes more regularly. So if you miss your chance to submit a question, don't worry. We will be doing another one soon enough. Stay tuned on my Instagram account to find out when that'll happen. Okay, enough of that chatter. Dirt. What do you got for me? Or what do, what do our listeners actually right. have for me? These are all listener-submitted questions. Gosh, I'm looking at these right now. Y'all. Just There's a lot. There is a lot. I don't know how you're going to make heads or tail of this. Yeah. Like a lot of bullet points here. I'm a not going to look. I'm stressed out looking at it. So <laughs> just, go ahead, Dirt. Let's just, have it. Yeah, just put that away. Here's, a, here's the first one, a great one to start with. What new aggressive moves are you planning to make in 2024? New aggressive moves I'm planning on making. Okay, so I'll tell you the the major one. I'll give you I'll give you a uh, a professional one, and I'll give a personal one. Uh, this next weekend, I am announcing that I am creating inside my day job, the church where I am, a lead pastor role. I'm the senior pastor, started the church, been leading it for 28 years, and I am. Uh, promoting and installing a new role called lead pastor that will report to me, but they'll be responsible for the normal day-to-day bread and butter things that make Crossroads happen. That's an aggressive move. I know people who become founding pastors and they step out. I know people who've made somebody a co-pastor, which very rarely is ever truly a co-pastor. Somebody normally is the more dominant one. But this thing of inside of a same church having a senior pastor and a lead pastor, where that lead pastor has massive authority, he will report to me, Kyle Rance's name. That's a, that's an aggressive move. That's a new thing that I've not seen before, that I've not done. And quite frankly, it's a little, uh, it's a little daunting mm-hmm. when you're making a change like that yeah. to yourself in your job. So that's one. I'm also planning this year on expanding the garage and putting a bedroom over the over the top of it. So mm-hmm. maybe someday down the line, thirty years from now, I don't want to take care of the big house and move over the over the garage, Lib and I, and have a little one bedroom apartment up there. Uh, I'm doing that uh, in addition to uh, having a higher bay of a garage because I'm gonna my next restoration is gonna be a World War II era power wagon. I need a I need a larger garage door. I was just looking at pictures of old power wagons. Damn straight you were. Because I knew that you were going to do that. Yeah. So if you could describe it to the listeners, what does a World War II era power wagon look like? 
It, it looks like, well, the body style is totally different. So the fenders over the wheels kind of curve out. You could just Google vintage power wagon. But it's not like a pickup truck. It's not. It's, it's uh, different. It is a pickup truck. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different ones to it. So in World War II, they decided that, hey, we've got we've to actually get out and create the kind of machinery that can haul equipment and weapons mm-hmm. and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So all these guys in America, they weren't corporate jobs, most of them. They were farmers and that sort of thing. They drove these trucks around. They came back to the States, and they went to Dodge and said, uh, that truck that I drew drove in the Army, uh, can I have that on my farm? Can I buy one of those on my farm? And so Dodge realized, like, oh, we got something going on here. So that truck in the 19, 1942, 1943, in that era, it ended up lasting, I think, to about 1958. Oh, wow. So it's just a really cool vintage-looking truck, and um, it's got an eight-foot bed on it. And I'm going to do it because I've always wanted one, and I want a new project because the Jeep is going to be done pretty soon. And also, my current pickup truck is overloaded with with uh, uh, with overlanding stuff, yeah. tents and drawers and refrigerators, all that crap. And I'm kind of guy. I actually, I actually use a truck. <laughs> like right. I do yeah. building projects yeah, yeah. at my yeah. house and stuff. I actually use it. So having a a truck that's got an eight foot bed that restores gonna be pretty cool. So that leads us to the next one. Someone asks, "Will your Jeep CJ7 when it's finished? Will it be hitting trails, or is this more like a showroom Jeep?" It. It is closer to a showroom Jeep. It's not going to hit the trails. If I, if I hit the trails, I want to camp on them, and I've already got my vehicle with 35-inch tires and lockers front and rear to camp on them. That's the that's the uh, the power wagon I have, the modern power wagon. I'm looking at this as it's a four-wheel motorcycle. So, <laughs> you know, right. I'm not even getting a top for it. So, Lib and I want to go out to eat some night. It's perfect weather conditions yeah. or good enough. We get the Jeep out and cruise around in it. Next question. When are you going to get a haircut? I'm not sure when I'm going to get a haircut. Which I want to take a stance on this and say. Oh, yeah. When do you? I, mean, I love it. Well, of course you do, Dirk. Yeah, because it looks I'm dirty. dirty. <laughs> Longer hair. It looks great. Yeah, heck yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, There were I, a lot of haircut questions, though. It's funny. Was uh, it really? Yeah, there, there were, people, people have opinions, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. Like, uh, are you seeing negative opinions? No, no, no. They were just opinions? like, I noticed you doing something different with your hair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it started with um with Sam. With Sam, right? Yeah. So Sam the haircut guy came in. I said, "What the Sam Hills are you talking about?" <laughs> Sam Sam Hills came in and he was pushing me on what it'd be like to have longer hair and I was like, "I mean, I don't want to know like hair, I don't whatever." And then I started thinking about it and I realized, "Well, I actually have always wanted to try longer hair. I just haven't wanted the process and no time is as good as the current time. So I said, well, just not cut it for a while and see what happens. And so far, it's not bothering me too much. And we'll see. I'm probably just want to, I don't, I don't think I want to do a ponytail thing. I just want to like a little fantail swooping off the back. (laughs) So a little longer. Sweet. What's your favorite way to eat the wild game that you hunt? And does it differ by what type of animal it is? All right. So this is where I wish I was a better chef or actually I wish that I had a passion and desire to cook. I don't. I just like hunting. I, just, I Well, I like hunting. I like eating it. I just don't like the cooking of it. Okay. It's not my thing. So what I do with all game that I do, it's the same exact thing. It's probably not the best. I take Ruby's seasoning, Jeff Ruby's seasoning. It's so amazing. You can put it on dog dirt and eat your dog stuff. It's <laughs> it's great. I take, I take the meat. I maybe put a little olive oil on it, and I just put that seasoning on and I rub it in and then I just put it on the cast iron 
and I nice. fry it until it gets the right temperature. And okay. that's and that's it. I'm probably going to go to a sous vide though because it dummy proofs it. Okay. You know sous vide is? No. So sous vide is when you take your food and you put it inside of a, a Ziploc baggie, basically. You put it down inside water that has a temperature probe in it, and that it circulates the water. So when the water reads by the temperature probe, I can't remember the exact thing. You can set it for different meats. When it reads, say, 158, that means everything in there is 158. That mm. means the meat is 158. So you dummy-proofed your meat to have it rare, medium, rare, medium, whatever you want, and then you just take it and finish it off with a 10, 20-second sear just to give it some texture. Nice. So I may I may do that just because that's, that dummy-proofs it, but it'll take it a little longer. So are you like a medium, medium type of guy? Medium rare. Medium rare. Yeah, and I took a, I took a buddy out. Never been hunting before. I said, look, if you're going to do this hunting, it's fine. I'm going to take you where I go. Welcome to welcome to do it. But if you're in, you got to be all in. Like, you got to track the animal. You're going to have to gut it. I'll tell you how to gut it. I'll help you. But you got to gut it. You got to get it to the butcher. You got you got to, And you got to eat it. He was like, oh, this is great. This is wonderful. It's good. Uh, and I said, when don't we do it again? I said, hold on. I'm, I'm not sure if we'll do it again, maybe. But you got to be in for the whole thing. So... I got to make sure that you've eaten that meat. You've honored the life there of that you animal mm-hmm. or you found somebody else who will eat it before we go out for number two. And what do you know? Him and uh, and his boys, they've been having deer tacos. They had steak. <laughs> and uh, people go, oh, isn't it gamey? The people who say it's gamey have A, never eaten wild game or B, have believed a lie it's gamey. So as Proverbs says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So if you think it's going to be gamey, it's going to taste gamey. Or they've had somebody cook it who didn't know how to cook at all. I don't know how you would make it gamey, but I'll take my deer or my deer or my elk or my anything, and I'll do a ruby seasoning on it, and you can't tell if it's it's beef or whatever it is. It's, It's great. I love it. Sometimes there's a benefit to asking questions. Would you be interested in hunting Eastern Canadian moose in Newfoundland? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Did okay, that, great. Well, is, We're just is gonna, this, I mean, this, I guess is, I'll just connect you with the guy who wants to host you hunting moose in Newfoundland. Uh, so he's saying he could do it. Yeah, I think, he, I think that's an offer. Yeah, I have to look at. Uh, of course, of course, I am. But yes, I also but. have a high standard in terms of if you're captain draining, I don't, I don't right want to spend a week with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I, mean? <laughs> I, I do want a moose, but not long enough, hard enough to spend a week with captain draining in one-on-one time. Right you know? on. Right on. Okay, uh, one of your followers is getting into um, adventure riding bikes yeah. this year. Wants to know your best helmet and gear recommendations. Well. I'm probably the wrong guy to ask because because I buy expensive stuff now. You know, I'm an empty nester in my prime income earning years, and it wasn't like when I started off when I was 36 or something like that. So if you're asking me, I'm just going to tell you what I find. I think is the best of the best of the best. So number one, all climb all the time. K-L-I-M. All <laughs> climb all the time. It's just the best gear that's out there. It won't wear out. It's lifetime warranty forever and ever and ever and ever. And, you know, you think you want cheaper gear. Maybe you have to have cheaper gear. But when you go through your first all-out rainstorm and you're in 100% waterproof, breathable, triple Gore-Tex gear that has unbelievable padding, when you actually have your first wreck on the road and you're okay and maybe some stitching is pulled out, 
and Klein is going to warranty that and fix it, you'll go, I'll play that all the time. So that's, that's my favorite there. And then in terms of helmets, I'm a big modular helmet guy. That means it has a chin bar that when you click on it, the whole face opens up. That way if I'm on the side of the road and someone comes up to talk to me, I don't have to take off my whole helmet or let's say worst comes to worst, a cop pulls me over because I'm going too fast. Just seeing your face immediately is a nice thing. So uh, I like those kind of helmets and the best that's out there for that is called shoe birth. So I use shoe birth. Foot gear, not real real anal on foot gear and, and I don't think gloves matters either. Just have a extra pair of skin on your hands. Right on. Hard uh, shift. <laughs> what do you think about life on other planets? Aliens? Real, not real? I think it's possible. I, I think I think it's possible. Uh, I also think, you know, one of the, one of the people I listen to on podcasts is Joe Rogan. I never listen, whenever I read the, the description, uh, whenever it says, so-and-so is a comedian, nope, not doing that one. <laughs> so-and-so is a comedian, no, not doing that one. Because, I don't know, I just, I, but he's got someone on there who is an expert in their field, or he had Taylor Sheridan recently, the prolific writer, was really awesome. Although Taylor, Taylor Sheridan wasn't really awesome, if you listen to that one with Joe Rogan, because the last half hour, he started talking about aliens. He, he gets in this thing, whenever he's got somebody with him who he's known before, he gets in this ethereal discussion about maybe our souls are aliens, or aliens are here to harvest our souls, or maybe we are just, we are just bit players. We're basically the ant colony of aliens who are watching us and all that. And, I mean, he's really into it. And I always want to say to him, I said, man, you, you seem to be really interested in the transcendent. Uh, his name is Jesus. <laughs> he's, I don't know why you're going to these theories that no one can prove when the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day is pretty much proven. When there's a long line of supernatural stuff that's happened from him and his followers for thousands of years. So... I get a little frustrated with that. And I also think, yeah, I think there's life elsewhere. The Bible doesn't speak to it one way or the other, unless the life elsewhere you're talking about is in heaven. But if if I'm God and I'm a creator, that's who he is. He is a creator. Creating isn't a past tense thing where God says, well, yeah, I created the earth however long ago and throughout, through whatever means he did it. And I don't want to debate about that right now. It just seems natural to me that he would keep creating. Hmm. So why wouldn't there be other planets? Why wouldn't there be other 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 uh, universes? Maybe why wouldn't there be other life forms? And why do we think that our life form has to be the highest? Our life form is the highest here on this planet. But there's nothing in the Bible that says that human beings are the very first thing that God ever created. He's hmm. the creator. So there could be other civilizations doing something elsewhere with, and maybe they're coming here. I don't know possible maybe uh, a tangent off that somebody wants to know is it wrong is it sinful is the word that they used to be into ghost hunting uh i think i would defer to our new best friend of the podcast <laughs> father lampert i think that i, I think that you know, he, he talks about this and the commendable thing about it is this is normally somebody who is wanting the next level. Somebody's wanting a transcendent experience. And so I think it's why our fascination with ghosts. But if you happen to call yourself a follower of Christ, a Christian, 
chasing ghosts isn't going to get you anywhere. You need to chase God. You need to chase Christ's will for your life, not not just a not just a, uh, a reporting of of a ghost. And there's been podcasts out there. Listen to one of them. I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, one of the guys who ran the podcast. They go out and they verify these ghosts exist, and 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 they've never been able to do it. Huh. Never. <laughs> on tape or video, yeah. never. They've experienced some things, but they've never been able to do that. So that says a couple of things. One, either they don't exist, or two, they do exist, but they're not interested in really being found out. Or three, they do exist, but the they is something in the demonic or the angel realm that's being passed off as a ghost. And angels are there to glorify God and point us to God. And demons are there to keep us away from God and put up, point us away from God. So either way, looking to encounter either one of those entities is not the real thing. It isn't going to get you very well, very, very far, other than maybe having a cool experience to talk about when you're getting hammered with your friends. (laughs) (laughs) So lots of questions about faith. So let's segue over there. Um, Does God still talk to people through dreams? And if so, how do I know what's from him and what's not? Yes, God does still talk to people through dreams. I just talked with a friend of mine, Allie Patterson, who was talking to me about how God was talking to her. Actually, God gave her a dream and then gave a good friend of hers, Kristen, who I know, a dream that built upon that dream, never told them about this dream. It was a dream about being on stage behind like a glass inside of an aquarium or a glass Mm. enclosure like you might see on some church stages where they have an enclosure around the drums. They had complementary aspects of that scene that God had given them that gave a wow. gave a word. So yeah, I, I, I think I think it does happen. What was the second part of that question? How do I know if it's from him or if it's not? Yeah. I don't know that answer. Because I get dreams every once in a while and I wake up and I say, Oh no, that was so specific and so outside my normal realm that had to that had to be God. And as I thought about it, I thought, okay, if that was God, I have no idea what that means, so I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> so in that case, I just follow the way in the back of my mind and see if something else happens, like happened with Allie, with a friend of hers came and told her a dream that was the missing puzzle to her dream. <laughs> um, so I don't think that we, I don't think that we can always know exactly what that means. I think the most important thing is to be in a seeking mode uh, towards the heart of God. Uh, one person would just love to hear the story of how you became a believer. Hmm. I I went to a Presbyterian church. When I say Presbyterian church, I mean a dead Presbyterian church. This is old school, mainline, dead Presbyterian church. No life in it when I was a youngster. And that's an age when just about all Americans went to church someplace or they were affiliated or a member of a church someplace. And my mom played in the organ. My dad sang in the choir. And I had to sit in the very front row of that church service before I could even read. I've got a hymnal open, pretending like like I can read the words and singing with my in my Sunday's best. And I learned it was really not a hymnal; it's a humnal because that's all people did in my church when I grew up. Just hum, like zero life, none, nada, zippo. So as I got older, I did everything I could to not go in there because when I was in there, I would see people fall asleep and I would say to them under my breath, what are you doing here? You you obviously don't want to be here. 
I don't want to be here, but you're an adult. You don't have to be here. As soon as I don't have to be here, I'm not going to be here. In fact, if this is what God is, I may not be a believer in God because this is just ridiculous. I would do anything I could to miss those services. And then I had a friend of mine in high school say, hey, uh, there's a camp coming up this week. I'm going to play some football. Uh, you want to come and, and do it? And I said, uh, sure, I'll do it. It's the old bait and switch. <laughs> it wasn't really a football thing over the weekend. It was a Jesus camp where we played one hour and a half of football. <laughs> that's what it was. It was a young life camp and it was great and it was glorious. And that's the first time I saw it. There was a difference between the religion of, of Christianity and a relationship with Christ. It might like mind blowing. Like you could have a personal relationship with a God of the universe known as Jesus Christ. Wow. Wow. And, um, that changed my life. That changed, well, I've changed my life for about two years. So I, I asked, so I asked Christ into my life about 14 times in the next two years. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the beginning of a long and fulfilling relationship I've been having with him since I was 15, 16 years old. It's, mm-hmm. And um, what was that? 42 years later. And um, we're still going strong. Awesome. I'm trying to build my faith up by reading the Bible. This is my first time doing it. and I don't know what I'm doing. Words of wisdom or guidance for me. Uh, well done, first of all. Way, way to try something new for this year. That's really, really cool. I would have a goal for how often you're going to read, what you're going to read, what what you're hoping to get out of it. I would have that sort of goal instead of a goal of reading through the Bible in a year. I think that's a really noble goal, but it's a really tough, mostly unattainable goal your first time around because you're not going to have a sense of, who the prophets are, what the cultural context as they're talking is. You're not going to have an understanding that the, the, the book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible. And how does that fit in? And there's, there's so much, but that as you season your faith with God, those things start to become understandable. And as you read, you have places to put them. But if you just start off saying this, year, I'm going to read the whole Bible. You're probably not I mean, 99% of everybody who sets that out as a goal doesn't do it. It's just too ominous. So ask yourself, what I want to do the New, the New Testament maybe this year? Do you want to say, I want to read every morning for 10 minutes before I go to bed for 10 minutes? Get, get a system that you mm-hmm. feel is not going to be defeating of you, or, of you. Get a translation that's easy to read. They're all fun. There's no satanic translations out there. There's no one translation that is the God-ordained translation. Just pick one up and see if it makes sense in how you would talk and then and then use that one. And and uh, the best the best Bible, the best Bible is the one you're reading. That's the best one. The best Bible is the one you're reading. And the best plan is the one you're doing. So start small. Notice that if you even get 10 verses under your belt, you had 10 verses of opportunity to have God teach you something. Mm. So you might need to unpack this one for us. Um, how do you know if you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit? So you might need to, might need to unpack what are they talking about. This one often comes up as a follow-up to suicide. So let me, let me, let me bundle these two together. Suicide is not an unforgivable sin. 
Suicide isn't even talked about in the Bible. It's modeled at least once when Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, hangs himself. But suicide is not the unforgivable sin. Suicide, if that's the last thing you do and it's the last, and it, it is for sure a sin, when we kill ourselves, it's like we're, we're killing God's creation. Just imagine what it would be like if, if you built a beautiful piece of furniture and gave it to somebody, and then right before your very eyes, they took an ax to it and just destroyed it. You're like, wait a minute, that was my furniture I gave to you. Our life is a blessing that God has given to us. As horrible as it is, though, our eternal destiny isn't determined by our last thing on earth, especially when it's not a sin that's really talked about and called out. The only thing that's unforgivable, if it was your last sin, or actually, I guess when Jesus says, unforgivable is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We don't even know what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. Is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit what he's telling the Pharisees and religious leaders that they're saying that the they're saying that the acts and miracles of Jesus are actually done of Beelzebub and not of God? And Jesus is saying, "Oh my gosh, dudes! If you're saying these miracles are of Satan, yeah, ooh, you are unforgivable. Is it that, or is it something else?" I don't know what it is. Here's all I know. When somebody is concerned whether or not they've committed this, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, if you're concerned about it, then you haven't done it. I'm, I remember in high school, we were in some conversation and something took place and I don't remember the context. I, I think I was half joking it. All I remember is the exact words came out of my mouth. Well, I'm not gonna give you the exact words, but the two words were F God. Those exact mm-hmm. F God. And I think I was kind of, I, I honestly don't remember the context of it, but I remember as soon as it came out of my mouth, I went, oh my gosh, that had to be blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Oh no, gosh. And I really wrestled with it. And as awful as that is, I don't even think that was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because when someone, if it is unforgivable, what Jesus says it is, what it means then is your heart has grown so hard and so callous that you wouldn't care if you had committed that. So the fact that someone's asking, what is this? I'm concerned I've committed it is truth that you've not committed it, whatever it was, or else your heart would be so hard you wouldn't care and you wouldn't want to be repentant. Hmm. Um, I live in Ohio and marijuana was just legalized. Is it a sin to smoke medically or recreationally, do you think? Well, I don't think it's a sin at all to, to smoke medically. In fact, I would encourage it for some. I had a, a friend uh, who's part of the church I started. He was, she was here forever and ever and ever. And uh, <laughs> she was uh, dying of cancer and whittling away to nothing. And I guess part of the thing of getting high when you're doing cancer stuff, at least for some, is you get the munchies. You mm-hmm. want to eat, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> I remember I said to her, I said, Melissa, uh, have you um, you've been you've been trying marijuana? And she was she was a little sweetheart. She said, "Well, my grandmother has been looking into it." I said, "I said your grandmother, I I I'll just I'll find you a bag of weed. If you, if I, what if your grandmother? You just need to get some weed and you get the munchies. What you need? We were joking around with it, and um, 
I didn't, I didn't get out of the weeds. She, she died sometime after that. And I, all my contacts have dried up there in high school, so I have no idea where to, would even know where to go. So, no, I have no brainer. If you have, if there's a medical issue, go, 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 go. Recreational, I think, is a bit different. The thing about, the thing about getting high versus getting buzzed on alcohol, in my opinion, at least the way they made weed in high school when I was a regular toker, is um, if you're smoking a joint, you're trying, you're trying to lose your mind. Whereas if you're having a couple of drinks, you're not trying to lose your mind, but it can't sneak up on you. And I think it's important to just to, to always be prepared. I've had some really high intense encounters where after that encounter, I thought, man, I'm glad that I have my wits about me. Whether it was an, a, an emergency call, whether it was a, a, a late run I had to make, whether it was whatever it was, I think that when you're taking something to intentionally alter your mind, the Bible says, do not be drunk, be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're drunk or high, it's very similar to being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're under an influence that's not yours. You do things you can't normally do as the Holy Spirit empowers you. I don't, I don't have dirt. I'm not just part of a Christian belief system. I have an X factor of an external entity that lives inside of me that gives me powers, abilities, insights, and perceptions that other people don't have and that I wouldn't have mm-hmm. if I didn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I get carried away with that. I, I get there's an, a level of empowerment there. When you're drunk or you're high, there also is a level of empowerment, but it's not necessarily making you better. It's mm. empowering you to be a jerk, insensitive, empowering you to just fall asleep more. And so that that passage is contrasting the one against the other. Don't do these things that's an external substance and takes over your mind and body, but do this thing, be filled with the Holy Spirit, which is an external entity that takes over your mind and body. That's what I would say as a strong follower of Christ. And um, yeah, that's where I am. Flying K Ranch. Today's episode is brought to you by them because I believe they're producing some of the most mouth watering, healthy burgers, steaks, roasts I've ever had. They're in Findlay, Ohio. Flying K raises their beef with no hormones or antibiotics, so you know you're getting the most natural product. It's a family business partnering with state and national certification boards to ensure both cattle and customers are happy. You can find out more, place your orders at flyingkranchangus.com. That's flyingkranchangus.com. Dot com. I'm liking it a lot. Seems like this question comes up a lot, so I would love to hear what you say about it. The same God who chose the nation of Israel also let the Holocaust happen. How do you rectify those two things? Seems like Holocaust is always the example for is God good? Look, he let the Holocaust happen. Like, what? How do you think about that? Yeah. Well, a couple, a couple things. The first is we have to recognize that God's created the world and us where we have free choice. Everybody wants free choice. Nobody wants to be a robot. Now, if God creates the world perfect and he gives us free choice, 
which way is it going to go? It's going to go down. Something's perfect. It doesn't get more perfect. It gets less perfect. But it was a risk God was willing to take as he wanted people who would love him and have a love relationship. As we do our acts of free will that are against God's will, they're going to hurt other people. God from time to time does step in and stop things. We have no idea how often he does. No idea how often he does. He does. We just don't know it. So I just, I think it's unfair to accuse God of being a bystander when we have no idea how often he does step in and when none of us would want to give up free will. So that means other people have to be able to have free will to hurt us. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's segue into some life stage questions. So these are, these are kind of grouped around different life stages. So the first one is single and dating. I'm looking for some post-breakup help. I'm a 20-something female. My earthly father is gone, and I'm heartbroken, and I could really use a father figure right now. So her dad died? Yes, but I think what she's asking about is a relationship that has ended. Okay. Good for you, whoever you are. Good for you to tie the two things together because they most likely are tied together. Our fathers are a safety net or a backboard for us. At least they should be. And they are at least one in a relational way for for women. Uh, the most promiscuous women I've known have had emotionally absent fathers. I think it was on Family Guy, an old episode. Guy's talking to his son. He says, let me tell you, son, if you're at a bar and you're talking to a woman, they start speaking highly of their father, just move on to the next one. <laughs> Meaning there is a, uh, if we feel like we are loved by our earthly father, we're probably going to, ma- and, and getting love from our earthly father, we're probably going to make some better dating choices because we're not going to look to have another guy's sexual attraction of us or their love satisfy the lack of love we got from our father. All that to say, if your father is dead and he was positive for you, you're going to be very, uh, probably more prone to make a quick rebound and find somebody else. I would try not to do that. I would try to try to sit in it, try to detach from this most recent breakup, see what you learned out of it, and go into your next dating relationship, uh, a fresh and better and more improved you. And do not push yourself to fill that, that gaping hole. Don't do it, sister. You'll possibly regret it. What would you say to a young dating couple that wants to get married but doesn't think they have enough money yet? You never have enough money. (laughs) I I think this is, man, I tell you what, this is, the world knows little about the most important things, and this is one of them. How in the world the world has convinced people you have to have money before you get married is beyond me. Because guess what? The world is wrong because the world's ways don't work. The statistics are very, very clear with that. You could wait until you have all the money in the world or way more money than you have right now and then get married. Or you could have a partner and make more money and you can make more money when you have a partner. I just, I just don't understand this line of reasoning at all. Really, it's seriously, it makes zero sense to me. Your living expenses are going to be the same. You're still having to have an apartment. Every apartment can have two people in it. You still got to pay your bills. Both of you have to pay your bills. Why aren't you just paying them while you're together on the same roof and only having one Wi-Fi bill and and all of that sort of thing? It just 
it doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me at all why you if if this is the person you want to marry why you would wait until you have more money because what you're losing is you're losing a teammate and you're losing the early years of scratching and living and foraging and learning how to conquer and survive. And then what's happening is you're coming then later on as an older, more formed you who's more stuck in your ways. So if, if you believe that this is a healthy person to get married to, you're in the same place spiritually, physically, sexually, you guys just see eye to eye on things, it's a good mate, do not wait purely for finances, go. And I, I'll give my stories of, you know, Lib and I were just, it's hard to imagine people having a harder start financially than Lib and I did. Um, we did, the only cars we ever had are ones that people gave to us, moved in with my in-laws because I couldn't afford all of our credit card debt and stuff that we were doing. I could afford a concert now, but I have like a decade of, who in the world can afford a concert? Zero, zero ability for that. And uh, Lib and I are the stronger for it. And we appreciate all the stuff that we have. So your financial situation should not alter your engagement timeline. What's your best advice for a mom that's raising sons with no father figure in the picture? I hope that you're, you, you've got a good friendship network. And I would go to some of the friends in your network, hopefully you have some male friends in your network, or you have some female friends who are married to a guy or have great friends with a guy. The Bible tells us that God is the father to the fatherless. So just relax. Your boys are going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Just relax. <laughs> your boys are going to be fine. And it's really great when a, when a kid has a father figure, whether or not he shares the DNA with him or not. I would try to recruit somebody to be a father figure. I would try to recruit somebody and and not say, hey, would you be a father figure, but would say, do you think it's possible that once a month you have an ice cream cone with my son or once a week, once a quarter, whatever it is, and you think it's okay if he has your email or cell phone to ask you questions? I would try to maybe have some connective tissue with some other some other men that you trust and appreciate. That's that's my that's my great recommendation. Uh, speaking of kids, this person says I've heard you share your best advice for raising sons, but what's your best advice for raising daughters? Well, the other thing I, I like to do with sons is I like to say do some dangerous things. Mm-hmm. I like to bring my son a knife whenever I go out of town. I bring him back a knife, which mm-hmm. was kind of cool. It was a six year old who's getting knives and stuff. <laughs> People freaked out about it. I said, yeah, that's exactly right. You know? Now, little girls, most of them don't really have a thing for knives, but the transferable principle there is give your girls things that push them and challenge them because when our kids are pushed and challenged, their confidence increases. They feel more trusted by us. My, uh, I remember my daughter and my son, they were together. <clears throat> my daughter's older, so it was kind of on her. She was kind of leading and... We were at a Reds game, and I said, "Hey, here's uh, here's some money. Why don't you guys go back there? I want you to get me a get me a coke and a hot dog." You know, I was in the middle of the section, so I had to go up back and stand in line, and so they did. Now, if I lived in the Bronx in New York, I might not have done that, but this was Cincinnati in you know 1999 or something like that. 
And I was waiting, I was waiting. I really wanted to go back there and find them and spy on them. But I said, no, if I go back and look at them and they see me looking at them, the gig is up. I need to be in this chair when they come back so they see that I trusted them and I gave them something challenging. And sure enough, eventually they came back. I swear they each grew two or three Mm. inches Mm. from the experience of being trusted and being pushed. So I think that's that's a great thing to do with your girls. Awesome. Uh, it's a blended family question. So my wife found porn on her 12-year-old son's phone. His biological dad says it's no big deal, but I disagree. But I don't know if I can speak into it because I'm the stepdad. What's my next move? Well, it's too, the bi- too bad the biological dad is not helping you out here. No big deal. No big deal. A 12-year-old is looking at images with his dick in his hands. No big deal. Like, no big deal? I'm not even talking about just the actual act itself, but but I'm talking about the expectations you have as a 12-year-old over what a woman's supposed to look like, over what a woman's supposed to do. You're, you're training yourself to be a selfish lover. That's what you're doing. That's what's happening. And that's why sex therapists would tell you that their highest growing list of clientele is men in their 20-somethings because they can't have an orgasm unless it's with their own hand and an image that they're living by. It's hard for them to actually be with an actual real woman. So you are right to be concerned about this. I think you have to talk to your 12-year-old that way. Your mom's got to talk to your 12-year-old that way. I don't know how, how you are on the sex talks, but I'll tell you what, you've got to be graphic, like really graphic, And you also have to be first to market. Make this a thing for everybody else who's listening who's got kids that are real, real young and they don't have phones yet or anything else. You always want to be first to your market, first to market with your kids on anything. You know, the the first potato chip was ever invented was the runaway bestseller until somebody was way, way better. It's the first to market. Gets it, right? Apple, right? They were the first to market with a smartphone, right? Uh, People would say that, that Android is better. We know you're not better Android users because we hate when you're on our threads. We can't do videos back and forth. But I digress. Because they're first to market, they had a huge, huge foothold. When with your kids, you want to be the first to market on the sexual activity. You want the first time for they for when they see porn to have been grossed out because you described them what happens when a penis goes inside of a vagina. You've described to them what oral sex is. And you've not just described it, you told them it feels awesome, it feels great. You don't want to lie to them. You want to to be very, very honest with them. But you need to do that so that person, when they see those images, they go, oh, this is what mom and dad were talking about. And you've formed how they interpret those those images. It's just not healthy for for anybody, really. It's not healthy for anybody. Uh, We become selfish lovers. We become into ourselves. We get addicted to the hit of... I think it's dopamine, it's in our brain, let alone if you're a Bible believer that you're committing adultery with somebody mm-hmm. else. Yeah. So. Uh, we're going to shift to marriage. I need new hope. Mowers. <laughs> marriage. Mowers. <laughs> <laughs> I need new hope for my marriage. How should I pray for my husband? Or what are some things I should I could pray for my husband? I think prayer is good. Yes, prayer is good. Prayer, prayer is a good thing. I don't know that prayer is going to do it on this, though. I think what you've got to do, I know that I I almost sound like I should be defrocked saying that. Sometimes we use prayer as a passive excuse to doing hard things, you know? 
that's the that that's the problem with it. So um I would instead say, look right now at what you do with your husband now. Okay, all that, do something else. What what you're doing right now isn't working. How you talk to him isn't working. The way you're dressing may not be working. The humor that you tell, the jokes may not be working. Whatever house chores is are the ones that you have around the house may not be working. Whatever your current sexual appetite is or your current sexual practices, it's not working. I mean, whatever, whatever, anything, whatever, whatever your normal go-to conversations are, it's not working. Your marriage isn't working. So the the hardest and easiest thing to do is to say, what do I got to change? I'm just going to change something for a week, change a number of things for a week and just see if he gets, gets the message that I'm trying here. And maybe we'll accidentally stumble into something that could be a source of lifelong joy. Hmm. That's what I recommend. Uh, what's your best advice? And, for- and, there are, and yeah. pray about that. There you go. And pray about yeah, that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and pray yeah. that your husband sees that and pray that your husband wants to talk about that. That's what I would say. Great. Uh, best advice to deal with overbearing and demanding in-laws. Well, I'd love to, some of these I'd love to have a follow-up on. Like, are they talking with their spouse about this? Do they both believe they're overbearing? That's, right. you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Because if, if you and your spouse aren't in alignment that they are overbearing, then it's going to be, you know, it's going to be pretty tough. I, I'm like, I said before, I'm, I'm, I'm like a sausage, meaning the way I interpret it, life's big questions is through the scriptures. I'm like a sausage. Any way you cut me, I'm going to come up Bible. I'm just going to, that, that, that's my interpretation of how I understand things. And... The Bible says very clearly with marriage, a man shall leave his mother and a woman leave her home. There's a leaving, there is a cleaving. You must leave your in-laws and you they must know that you have left them. Their opinion no longer matters at all. Like, at all. Your spouse's opinion matters. Now, their opinion may matter because when they say something are very wise, but simply because you're, they're your in-laws means nothing in terms of their rights for certain holidays or their rights for certain this or that. You know, this doesn't. So you've got to first cross that barrier that they have no rights and that they in the house are like as if your neighbor was in the house. Same thing. Same thing. No, it's not maybe emotion because they raised the person that you've, you're married to. But you've got to be able to separate that. You've got, to, you've got to treat them as adults, whether or not they want to be treated that way or not. And then from there, you just got to pick your battles on when to just tell them no. No, that, that doesn't work for us. A lot of times, in-laws just don't know. They have no idea. And you just say, no, that, that, that just doesn't work for us. And you'll be shocked maybe when they just say, oh, okay, well, how about this date? Or how about that thing? You know, mm-hmm. they a lot of times mm-hmm. we've built up this drama because they've never been led. Go ahead and try to lead your... Lead your in-laws. Last two. Uh, first, I'd love to hear your stump speech on sleep. Is it overrated or underrated? Oh, I think it's underrated. I, I think I think everyone is talking a good game on sleep, but I think too few people are doing sleep. Sleep is 
Sleep is the greatest way to start your day. You know, you don't wake up in the morning. You sleep in the morning. That's what you do. The Old Testament habit of Sabbath. Sabbath happens on sundown. So my day starts when I hit the pillow. My day doesn't start when I open, when I get up out of bed. It starts when I hit the because how I sleep is going to dictate the whole rest of the day. And science is just so abundantly clear on this. I've got this watch on uh, the, the, the Garmin watch. I've had a Garmin watch for a while. This latest one is really, really, really cool. It gives me a morning report. I wake up in the morning and it says on my watch, it's black. it blacks out from 10 to 6. It's blacked out. If I touch, touch it'll come to life, but it's blacked out. And I look at it and it says, good morning. I said, hey, good morning. And then as you scroll through, it tells you how much, among other things, how much I slept last night. Mm. And I and I literally get stressed when it's under eight hours. Mm. I'm like, oh man, this is not good because I know me. If I don't go, I, I can be in a sleep debt for a day or two, but if I'm three, four days in a row under eight hours, I do not have focus. It's 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 not good. So I think I think sleep is huge. In fact, some of the stuff I've read about depression, because I've been going down the rabbit hole more in the depression and mental illness stuff, because it's just happening more and more and more. And I'm just reading more and more people say about depression. Step number one, figure out how to get good sleep. And watching late night TV or scrolling TikTok or reels, allowing that to fill you up while you lie there in bed and then go to bed. No, you can't. No, it doesn't work that way. Your, your, your mind and your eyeball has been pelted with these fast moving images. You can't just slow down and go to bed now. You've got to figure out when to shut that stuff off too. Not because that stuff is bad, just because that stuff's going to hurt your sleep, which is going to hurt you. Hmm. Okay. Last one, a major eggnog and I love it. How long is it going to last in the fridge though? Forever. <laughs> uh, seriously. I think it'll last forever. I, I've, I've made eggnog. I made a quad batch of eggnog and I've stored it outside. And for two weeks at a time, it's been like 50 degrees. And I don't, don't tell anybody. I just serve it. It's been fine because there's <laughs> the, my alcohol anyway. There's so much, my alcohol, my eggnog, <laughs> there's so much alcohol in it that uh, you got, you have no problem at all. It kills the bacteria. You're, you're fine. So yes, go, 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 go. Perfect. All right. Well, that was it, Dirt. Well, I, there's a lot more. Yeah. Wait. You want to on here? Than I thought you wanna, there was. You want to read through and pick one? Do I, okay. I'll, do I read through? Okay. Anything that jumps off the page that you want to talk about? Um. Gosh, there's a lot of interesting ones on here. Uh. Let me let me, let me, let me hit this one. It says, "What does the Bible say about cussing? Why exactly is it bad?" I don't know. I really, I really, I really, I really do. Uh, all right, let me let's talk about cursing for a little bit. Okay, first of all, the curse that is very spoken of again and again in the Bible against is when you literally put a curse on somebody. When you say to somebody, "I uh, put a hex on them or curse them," tell them like. I declare right now for God that you'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. Or I'm going to pray that and 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 hope that you die alone. You know, those those are curses. Okay, that's cursing. Okay. Cursing is not a syllable. It's not words that are they're drawn together. Now having said that, we also see that the Bible says things like don't let any unwholesome talk come across your mouth. What's unwholesome talk? 
I think gossip is as unwholesome or more unwholesome than the F-bomb, depending on the context. Mm. I think it's, it's unwholesome. How about coarse language? What's coarse language? Is the coarse language four-letter words? Uh, in Hebrew and Greek, were they four-letter words? The three? Do we know what those words are? If I were to say, if I were to say those words right now, would God be upset? If I taught you a swear word in Hebrew, would would God be upset? Even though you didn't know what it meant and you meant nothing by it, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Hmm. I actually don't think so. I think that when we start talking about cursing, unwholesome talk, we start talking about um, uh, these sorts of things. The Bible speaking against belittling people, uttering coarse jesting, coarse jesting. Look at Derek. Derek, you're such an ugly, but Derek, you are not not joking around. Like right, right. dirt, being honest. Dirt. Yeah, yeah. You're short and you're dirty. You're a short, dirty. It's just a, like a mm-hmm. slam, like calling or something. about if you had a big nose and I start making fun of your nose to your face that's that's unwholesome talk that's coarse jesting do i think it's good to be dropping the f-bomb all over the place no probably not good do i think you, you ought to work as you can to scrub four-letter words out of your language uh, probably in, in large part because depending on what, what crowd you're running with they're not going to take you seriously or they're going to put you in a specific box so i'm not trying to promote saying four-letter words they do have their place in the right time in the right place they do in the right time, in the right place. They do have them because there's 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 emphasis there. I think that's the power of the uh, the f bomb. I was listening to a podcast a while ago with a chick who founded Spanx. Ever tell you about that? Uh, no. Uh, I was getting her mixed up. Blake Lively, Blake Lively, Slively, whatever. There's there's an actress in her. I was mixed up when she when she got that that company. She and she found it. She's the first self-made female billionaire in the world. I think it is Sarah Blakely. Sarah Blakely. There you go. I, I knew it was a Lee. Someone there. Sarah Blakely. Which, by the way, people say, "Who would you like to have in the podcast?" Sarah Blakely. Please, That's Sarah. I, uh, please. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Gosh. She said that she knew from comedians that we are drawn to the k, the k sound, the k huh. sound. Um. That's why things like old brands like Kicks, k, the K, we like to say the K. So comedians, she said, she learned knows to work in K sounds. Hmm. And so that's why she got came up with Spanx. K, the k. And she said, oh, I can make it kind of cute, put a little X on it, Spanx. I think that's what draws us to the to the, a lot of those words, the F-bomb. It's that, it's it's the K, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, that, mm-hmm. you know the, those things together. And um, I don't think it's necessarily sin that draws us those things. Part of it is, part of us of it is is just the way our minds operate as a human and wanting to say certain things. So this is not a diatribe on on thou shalt swear more. This is more a diatribe on those those of you who get offended by four letter words, inappropriate contexts. I'm not talking about doing it from a classroom or something like that, but if if you get frustrated by an inappropriate context, there's a uh, well, there's enough for you to chew on. Yeah, just it sounds like you're saying we need to think more about how I'm talking about someone that I'm angry with, or if I'm gossiping, right. or if I'm in an argument with my neighbor, the right. way that I'm talking about them versus the four letter word. Right. In my mouth. How am I representing other people with my mouth? Mm-hmm. Uh, my mouth. Am I using my mouth to encourage people? Lib and I are. Fin- trying to finish off This Is Us. You ever seen that movie? Or that no, TV show? No, no. 
Oh man, if you want good cry, it's a cryer, right? Oh, dude, yeah. it's like every episode. It's like that's probably why I haven't seen it. It's a good, it's a good cry. It's like <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's a good cry, uh, at least every other episode. So we were we're watching, watching just last night. <laughs> I said, it's unbelievable in this show. Like everyone always has the perfect thing to say. The perfect, like, in a, in a heated conversation, they, like, come back with the perfect thing to say, whereas the rest of us we would come back, like, a day later. Oh, I should have said that. <laughs> but they also have also the most perfect thing to say. Like, they say these most beautiful, encouraging things. It's the right thing at the right time. And I thought, man, I'm not as choiceful with my words and being mm. up, uplifting and encouraging as the writers are in this show, and that's a ding on me. Um, the Bible really wants us to recognize the power of the tongue, and I think it has more power than we recognize. Great. All right. I think that does the dirt. Well, hey, thanks for coming. I hope that uh, I didn't bore you too, too much. And if you disagree with anything I said, well, uh, get your own podcast, and you can you can, you can can answer those questions any way you want, but that's the way I answered them. That, that's my answers, and I'm sticking to them. We'll see you next time on The Aggressive Life. Thanks for joining us on this journey toward aggressive living. Find more resources, articles, past episodes, and live events over at bryantome.com. My new books, a repackaged edition of The Five Marks of a Man and a brand new Five Marks of a Man tactical guide are open right now on Amazon. If you haven't yet, leave this podcast a rating and review. It really helps get the show in front of new listeners. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.